0: Our scripture passage for this morning is found in Luke chapter 16. If you're using the Pew Bible in front of you, that's on page 875. We'll be reading verses 1 through 13. Luke chapter 16, starting at verse 1. He also said to, his, to the disciples... There was a rich man who had a manager, and charges were brought to him that this man was wasting his possessions. And he called him and said to him, what is this that I hear about you? Turn in the account of your management, for you no longer can be manager. And the manager said to himself, what shall I do, since my master is taking the management away from me? I am not strong enough to dig, and I am ashamed to beg. I have decided what to do, so that when I am removed from management, people may receive me into their houses. So summoning his master's debtors one by one, he said to the first, how much do you owe my master? He said, a hundred measures of oil. He said to him, take your bill, sit down quickly, and write 50. Then he said to another, and how much do you owe? And he said, a hundred measures of wheat. He said to him, take your bill and write 80. The master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteousness wealth, so that when it fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. One who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest in much. If then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust you to true riches? And if you have not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money.
1: how we handle money has consequences. In fact, how we handle money has eternal consequences. And according to Jesus, sometimes unbelievers understand this fact even better than his own followers. Jesus, in fact, has a lot to say about money, a lot even in this Gospel, Luke, that we've been studying. And uh, we have to ask ourselves the question, is money... A blessing or a curse? Is money an opportunity or is it an obstacle? Is money a danger or is it a delight? Of course, the answer is yes. (laughs) It's all those things. Money is all those things in our lives. And accordingly, we need to come to our master, Jesus, and uh, see what he has to say to both believers and unbelievers, to the young and to the old, and even to the rich, those who have a lot of this money, and to the poor, those who have just a little. uh, Jesus has something to say to all of us about that. Now, we'll notice that this whole chapter is about that. It begins with a parable about money, and look at how it starts in verse 1. He said to his disciples, there was a rich man. The chapter ends with another parable. In verse 19, it begins in the exact same way. Verse 19, there was a rich man. So he's got things to say to us uh, throughout this chapter, and we'll notice that he speaks first to the disciples in verse 16. He also said to his disciples, that is, people that profess to follow him. But when we come over to verse 14, the Pharisees, who were lovers of money, heard all these things, and they ridiculed him. And he said to them... So we have some things said to believers and some things said to unbelievers... Uh, to rich and to poor. And I have to tell you that as 21st century middle-class Americans, we are the richest people that have ever lived. You can look at all the times and places, there's more wealth in this world today, in this society, than there's ever been anywhere. So we really are being addressed by the Lord Jesus today as those who are rich. And I want us to have ears to hear what he has to say. So let's listen to him, and let's first speak to him in prayer and ask for his help. Lord, we come again to your word inspired by the Holy Spirit. Every word is directed towards us for our benefit and blessing. I pray that you help us again this morning to concentrate on what you have to say to us, That you guide my thoughts and words, to bring the message to us, that you grant each of us uh, listening ears and open hearts. Again, we confess our need for your direction and assistance through the Spirit of God, and we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Notice how verse 16 begins with the word, he also. Um, That word, it's just a single word in the text, the original text, but it's telling us that what Jesus has to say here is basically a continuation of what he said before. Not that there's a great deal of connection between chapters 15 and 16, but it's, Uh, Placed here by Luke, the word there seems to indicate that it's the same general uh, setting and occasion that uh, we found also in chapter 15. However, there is a connection. In the last story in chapter 15, we have the the younger brother, the younger son of this man. Uh, In verse 13, it says, not many days later the younger son gathered all he had and took a, a journey into a far country and there he squandered his property in reckless living. So we have a young man taking someone else's money and throwing it around. Remember, we, we contrasted in verse 13 how he first gathered up all that his father's estate was. Represented, and he put it into one sack of gold, I guess. He, he gathered his money and liquidated all of it and had it together. He gathered it, but when he got to the far country, he scattered it. He tipped. he bought big things, he spread it to his friends, he spent it, and it was gone. So he scattered it. And that's what this man does. We find in verse uh, 1, he, he also said to his disciples, there was a rich man who had a manager. Charges were brought to him that this man was wasting his possessions. Exact same word in the original text as squandered in the earlier one. So, so there is kind of a connection and that is there's two stories in a row of people who take somebody else's money, that's what this guy's doing, he's not the owner, he's the manager, and because it, perhaps partly because it's his, not his money, he throws it around. He scatters it. He wastes it. So uh, we come to this then <clears throat> with, uh, our text today is very simple the outline will be first the parable. It's a story that Jesus tells, a parable of using money, and that's in verses 1 to 8, and then after that, the principles that he draws from this parable, um, verses 9 to 13, the principles of using money. First, the parable. We look at the first couple verses of chapter 16, and we're, here we begin with the actions of the rich man himself. Um, <clears throat> he has a, he owns an estate large enough to hire a manager. That's the word for us in the old Bibles. It would have said steward, but we don't use that too much anymore. Uh, he He's a man hired to manage the other guy's money and estates and property. So he's a manager. And it uh, comes to this man's attention that he's a cheat. That in different ways he's being uh, a dishonest in the handling of his master's resources. And uh, this comes to him somehow or other, but he he MUST CONSIDER THESE uh, REPORTS RELIABLE BECAUSE HE DOESN'T PARTICULARLY LOOK INTO IT SO MUCH AS HE SAYS, GET YOUR STUFF TOGETHER, YOU'RE FIRED. HE'S CONVINCED THAT THE GUY'S A CROOK. Uh, HE DOESN'T NEED ANY TESTIMONY FROM HIM. Uh, HE'S CONVINCED HE'S DISHONEST. AND HE SAYS, uh, WHAT'S THIS I HEAR ABOUT YOU? VERSE 2, TURN IN THE ACCOUNT OF YOUR MANAGEMENT. GIVE ME THE BOOKS. I WANT TO <laughs> SEE THE FINANCIAL RECORDS. GIVE, all me, the, give ME ALL THAT STUFF and then I'll give you your walking papers. You're going out the door. You can no longer be my manager. So he fires him. Then we switch in verses 3 and 4 to the manager himself. These are his thoughts as he anticipates this uh, firing. The manager said to himself, what am I going to (laughs) do? What shall I do? And it should be noted that he did not push back. He doesn't say, I'm not a crook. Uh, He seems to know that I'm a crook, you know I'm a crook, we better just break this thing off. He doesn't, what am I going to do isn't I'll, I'll ask for mercy or I'll, I'll uh, deny the charges or anything like that. He does none of that. What am I going to do? He's going to throw me out. And I can almost tell, I can almost see Jesus in a humorous way almost telling this story. Um, well, I'm not strong enough to dig. <laughs> I've had a white-collar job all these years. I can't get out there and do some real labor, physical labor. And, uh, well, I'm too br- proud to beg. Not going to sit there with, with my hand out. Uh, ah, I know what I'll do. In verse 4, it really could be translated, I've got it. He came to this idea all of a sudden. I've decided what to do. So when I'm removed from management, people rec- will receive me into their houses. So he comes up with a plan. It's not honest, but it is a plan, and in this plan, he's going to be provided for by some of the debtors of his master. <clears throat> okay, what's he gonna do? Here it comes in verse five. This is his actual plan in action. He calls each of the men in that owe his master or something uh, privately or individually. He doesn't say, form a line here, and I'm gonna talk to you. He, he actually quarters them off alone. And uh, he talks to them one by one. He says, how much does, how much do you owe my master? And you, you can see the examples here. But the first one is, uh, what is it? It's 100, um, where are we? Verse uh, six, 100 measures of oil. That's computed to be something like a, um, 800 gallons. So see, this guy isn't running a grocery store, and he asks, uh, what's on your tab? Oh, $45. Mark it down to 20. No, this is a big guy. He, he's, he's an Albert Doskov. This guy's got uh, people that... He's got vendors that bring in these big orders and things like that. That's what we have here. So he, here's a guy that's got 800 uh, gallons of, of, uh, of uh, oil, olive oil. Well, just give me that bill. Let's make it 50. Ooh, good. Next guy, 1,000 measures of wheat. Uh, that's like 100 acres worth of, of uh, wheat. Eh, let's make that 800. When you compute those things out, and see, that just gives us two. You know, it would be a long and boring story if he had them all there. He could have had dozens, he could have had a couple dozens of people that owed the master of money. Each one of those that I just mentioned are probably a year's wages uh, of a common labor saved by the vendor, by the guy that owed his master money. So he's got, what he's setting up is 20 or 30 people out there whom he saved a bucket of money. And his thinking is, when I get fired and I have to leave my management, maybe one of those guys will take me in, or he'll give me a part-time job, or he'll help me out in different ways. So he sets this thing up. See how the scheme works? Um, Well, verse 8 says, the master somehow found out about that too. Not only did he earlier find out that he's a crook in that way, had been stealing from him, now he's stealing again. And he's undoubtedly angry, but look at what verse 8 says. The master commended. It's actually the word praised. You know, he had to just shake his head and probably smile and say, that guy is really clever. (laughs) That crook is really something, isn't he? Uh, The master commended this, this honest manager for his shrewdness. And then kind of a punchline. For the sons of this world, we might sometimes call these uh, worldlings, the sons of this world, the worldlings are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light, which is a little way of talking about God's people. Jesus tells this story in that way. It's a striking observation that the sons of this world are smarter in using money to further their ends on their pur- on their, uh, with their rules than God's people are. Both use money. But with his goals in mind, the non-Christian is more intelligent, more prudent, and more worldly-wise, we would say, than the Christian many times. What a shocking kind of story for Jesus to tell. This, this story is puzzling to people that come upon it the first time. They think, is Jesus actually telling that story? And some commentators actually think that, that it's stuck in there and put in the lips of Jesus. I think that's impossible. Who would make a story up like this and put it in the mouths of Jesus, in the mouth of Jesus? It must be authentic. Uh, it's so different. He turns everything on its head. This is the way Jesus gets their attention. And what a challenge to us He's not condoning dishonesty. He'll make that very clear in the second part of this passage. What he's commending is the the, the smartness, the the cleverness of this man in using money. He's simply saying that bad people work harder at being bad than good people work at being good in terms of the use of their money. Very, very interesting. Very interesting. So that's the story itself. Verse 8, verses 1 through 8. AND NOW LOOK AT VERSE 9, FOR HERE WE BEGIN THE PRINCIPLES, AND WE'LL UNPACK THESE THINGS A BIT IN GREATER DETAIL. FOR NOW JESUS SAYS, "Stories OVER, VERSE 9, I TELL YOU, AND THERE'S AN EMPHASIS IN THAT, ON THE WORD I, IT'S KIND OF DOUBLED UP IN THE ORIGINAL LANGUAGE, Um, I TELL YOU, I WANT TO TELL YOU SOMETHING VERY IMPORTANT, HE SAYS, I WANT TO GIVE YOU SOME DIRECT STATEMENTS ABOUT THE USE OF MONEY, NO MORE STORIES, Here comes the real deal. And the first is in verse 9, the the real purpose, the real purpose of money, the final end, I would call it, of money. Verse 9, and I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings." This will be the closest connection to the earlier story, but he reveals here what the purpose of money is. He calls it, though, unrighteous wealth. You see that in verse 9? And that phrase is repeated in verse 11, if then you have not been faithful with unrighteous wealth, and at the very end of the story, you cannot serve God and money. All three places it uses an old word called mammon. King James Version, I think, usually just carries that over, transliterates that from the original text. It's a Semitic word. It's, all it means is money. But uh, he calls us unrighteous, and I want us to meditate on that in a, in, for a minute. Is money itself sinful, wrong, unrighteous? The answer is no. We know that from many other passages of Scripture. But it's tempting. It places before us choices that make us uh, sometimes reveal sinful motives and desires in our hearts. You all know stories of average Joe's that have won the lottery and with that million dollars, everything goes wrong. Having that opportunity before them that they never had before, they they act out in all kinds of ridiculous and silly and sinful ways. Well, that could happen to any one of us. But don't buy a lottery ticket. I don't want to test you. <laughs> uh, but again, a flood of money can uh, bring out the worst. a lot of people. So money is unrighteous in the sense that it can uh, bring forth from us sinful things. And it's often ill-gotten, if I might say it that way. Uh, It's associated with people and situations that might be less than honest. So in this world, the presence of money is not wrong in itself, but the presence of money next to all the sinful hearts that we have makes for lots of trouble many times. IT'S VERY DIFFICULT FOR A PERSON TO HAVE A LOT OF MONEY AND CONTINUE TO HAVE THEIR PRIORITIES RIGHT WITH GOD. The BIBLE SAYS THAT ABRAHAM WAS A VERY RICH MAN. HE'S THE FATHER OF FAITH. THERE'S NOTHING WRONG WITH HAVING THAT MONEY. BUT GOD WAS FIRST IN HIS LIFE, NOT HIS MONEY. SO, uh, IT'S MENTIONED, IT'S CALLED UNRIGHTEOUS WEALTH BECAUSE IT HAS TO DO WITH THIS FALLEN, SINFUL WORLD. THAT'S WHERE IT'S USED. AND IT OFTEN IS ASSOCIATED WITH uh, FALLING INTO SIN. But uh, what well, we want to see the purpose of, of wealth in this ninth verse is that uh, what the unrighteous manager did, what the crooked manager did, was he used money to provide not just for himself, but for his future. He was very clever about that. He knew that the money he was earning and sometimes stealing from his master kept him going day by day. But if that job ended, now what? Ah, he came up with this clever plot on how to go before him and provide for his future dishonestly, but for his future through those other people. So let's again trace it out. The dishonest manager used money dishonestly to provide for his earthly future. And he did it with his own sinful and selfish agenda in mind. And his only goal was for this life. All he was thinking about was the here and now. He had no thoughts of eternity. But now... Let's think about that story further. If someone had done that, if you were on the receiving end of that, you went in to, uh, to pay your bill of a of $1,000, and the guy said, just between you and me, let's mark it down to 500 you, Perhaps you protest on the spot, but if you took the $500 gift, and then that guy came around to you next week and wanted something from you, <laughs> would you trust him? See, If he's going to cheat the one guy, if you have any brains in your head, you know he could cheat you too. So maybe that worked out in the future, and maybe it didn't. But even if it did, what what comes of him? If he goes through life like that, cheating every chance he gets, when he gets to the end of his life, what happens? Look at verse 9. I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth. Look at the next phrase. SO THAT WHEN IT FAILS, WHEN IT FAILS, SOONER OR LATER, IT FAILED. HE COULDN'T TAKE IT WITH HIM, RIGHT? HIS LIFE ENDED. BUT HIS EXISTENCE DIDN'T END. THEN HE ENTERED THE PRESENCE OF GOD WITH ALL THIS SIN, ALL THIS DISHONESTY STILL ON HIM. IT ENDED IN HELL. IT ENDED IN PUNISHMENT FOR HIM. YEAH, HE CHEATED. AND SOMETIMES IN THIS WORLD NICE GUYS FINISH LAST. AND THOSE CHEATERS DO END UP BY THE SWIMMING POOL RIGHT TILL THE END OF THEIR LIFE. BUT THEN THE MONEY FAILS. IT CAN'T BUY THEIR SALVATION. IT CAN'T BUY THEIR FORGIVENESS. AND THEY'RE LOST. SO IN THE LONG RUN, THIS MAN, ALTHOUGH HIS MASTER PRAISED HIM, commended him for his cleverness and his crookedness, in the end, he's a fool. He's not wise at all. He loses his soul. He loses everything. But look at what verse 9 says that the Christian ought to do with his money. Again, I said they're good at being bad, let's be good at being good. I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth. What does the Christian do with his wealth? The honest Christian uses his money to honestly support himself and his family. This is why God gave him that money, to make a way for himself, to provide for himself. And this is honored by the Lord and rewarded. More than that, he offers gifts to the Lord through a Christian church. And in that way, he's supporting the servants of the Lord. YOU PUT A DOLLAR IN THE PLATE HERE, you're, YOU'RE PAYING FOR MY SALARY, YOU'RE PAYING TO SUPPORT THESE MISSIONARIES THAT WE PRAYED FOR TODAY AND OTHERS AROUND THE WORLD. Um, WE COULDN'T DO THIS WITHOUT THAT. I COULDN'T PREACH LIKE THIS BEFORE YOU IF I HAD TO WORK 40 HOURS A WEEK. I'D TRY TO DO SOMETHING, I'D TRY TO DO MY BEST, BUT I COULDN'T DO WHAT I DO WITHOUT THIS. SO YOU FREE ME TO DO THIS. THAT'S, that's THE ENTIRE PHILOSOPHY OF SUPPORTING THE SERVANTS OF THE LORD. WE FREE THEM FROM SECULAR WORK SO THEY CAN SERVE THE LORD AND SERVE US. SO um, THE HONEST CHRISTIAN USES HIS MONEY TO SUPPORT THE SERVANTS OF THE LORD. AND THEY'RE SUPPORTED, THEY'RE CARED FOR IN THAT WAY. AND THEIR MINISTRY, TOGETHER WITH OTHERS AS WELL, BUT THOSE MISSIONARIES, THOSE MINISTERS AND SO FORTH, THEY'RE LEADING PEOPLE TO CHRIST. SO THEY'RE PEOPLE THAT ARE GOING TO HEAVEN BECAUSE OF THE WAY YOU'VE SPENT YOUR MONEY. Um, One of the little things I do is every month I send a little gift to to buy a radio for someone in a country that doesn't have any gospel witness. I just kind of smile about that once in a while, that the Grossmans have bought these radios all around the world, and there might be little clusters of villagers around them that are coming to know the gospel and know Jesus Christ through the little radio that I bought. Um, That's just a little thing. And there's a hundred ways in which each of you are involved in little things too like that. And... uh, When we get to heaven, that's all known. That will all be brought forth. Uh, Buying those radios got those gospels to people. Um, And through our sacrificial gifts, our charity, we're supporting people that really don't have enough uh, money to eat and to house themselves and so forth. Um, We're helping in places like crisis pregnancy centers and rescue missions and places like that. AND uh, HOMES FOR SINGLE MOMS AND THINGS LIKE THAT. Uh, OUT OF THOSE GIFTS, OUT OF THOSE SACRIFICIAL GIFTS, PEOPLE ARE BEING BLESSED, LIVES ARE BEING SAVED, PEOPLE ARE BEING FREED FROM DRUGS, THOSE KINDS OF THINGS. Uh, TEEN CHALLENGE MINISTRIES LIKE THAT. WHEN WE GIVE TO MINISTRIES LIKE THAT, WE'RE PARTICIPATING IN, SUPPORTING ALL THOSE GOOD THINGS AS WELL. So that, what, what's he saying here? Read again verse 9. I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, my life will end and the money will end. It's all over with. It'll fail. They may receive you into the eternal dwellings. So who are the friends? And what are these eternal dwellings? Don't you see what it is? Uh, you haven't lived for the here and now. You've lived forever. And a lot of the money you've spent Looks like it's been wasted in the here and now, but it's been given for the benefit of heaven. For eternal issues and eternal blessings and benefits. And when I get to heaven, if I've spent my money that way, honestly supporting myself and, and sacrificially contributing to others, there'll be all these people that were blessed by the financial gifts I gave and will welcome me into heaven because of that. That's what he's talking about. Wow. What a great thought. What a great thought. Jesus tells this backwards, upside-down kind of story to say that, why don't you get as smart as the worldlings? They selfishly and sinfully make all this money work for them to get their agenda, and it's all just for the here and now. Why don't you use money for the end or purpose, the final end for which God gave it to you, which is to honor Him, to serve Him, and to glorify Him? IN ALL THESE WAYS, AS WE DO. WE'RE BUILDING FRIENDSHIPS IN HEAVEN. VERSE 10 HAS A NEW THOUGHT. TALKS ABOUT THE METHOD, OR THE MEANS, OF USING MONEY, FAITHFULNESS. LOOK AT VERSE 10. ONE WHO IS FAITHFUL, VERSES 10 THROUGH 12, ACTUALLY. ONE WHO IS FAITHFUL IN VERY LITTLE IS ALSO FAITHFUL IN MUCH. THE ONE WHO IS DISHONEST IN VERY LITTLE IS ALSO DISHONEST IN MUCH. Only want to point out there before we read on that obviously the opposite of faithful there is dishonest. So when he uses the word faithful and he'll use it four times in this short passage, he's just talking about trustworthiness, being honest, not cheating. One who's faithful in little is faithful in much. One who's dishonest in little is dishonest in much. If then you've not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who won't trust you with true riches? And if you've not been faithful in that which is in others, who will give you what is your own? So, here Jesus is clear that the dishonest manager in his little story is clearly doing the wrong thing. He doesn't coach us into cheating others, but rather to be honest in all things. Um, And he brings us three contrasts and they're kind of logical arguments from the lesser to the greater. Look again at verse 10. Um, If you're... um, faithful with a little bit of money, then you'll be entrusted with much more. Uh, if you're cheating with a little money, you'll cheat in a lot more, lesser to greater. Again, in verse 11, if you've not been faithful with unrighteous wealth, now he's talking about like here and now, money in this world, who's ever going to entrust to you true riches, heavenly things? So it's a difference between uh, physical and worldly, and eternal and spiritual. Then in verse 12, if you've not been faithful in what belongs to somebody else, how are you ever going to be entrusted with your own? So there are three of these little lesser to greater arguments here uh, that, that help us to understand what's going on. But it's a very important principle that he has for us. That again is our method has to be strictly faithful, trustworthy, and honest in all things. And, and notice what he says, and I'm, I want to speak to the children and young people, particularly at this time. Now is when we're developing our patterns of character. This is, what, this is what will work out as time goes on. If I'm lying about little things to my friends and my parents and my teachers, I'm going to learn to lie about the big things as life goes on longer later. And if I cheat in little things, If I shoplift and get away with these little petty crimes, you might not think that's a big deal, but you are teaching yourself to steal bigger things later. Now, that's not just true for children and for young people to think about, but for all of us. It's being honest in the little things that really sets and, and reveals what our character is. And I tell you, every... The embezzler that ever got taken (laughs) to jail will say it started very small. I was the treasurer of the swimming pool, and I uh, just started... I noticed that sometimes there was loose change, and it wasn't really accounted for, and no one would miss it, so I started putting it in my pocket. And then I started realizing, you know, I could probably get a couple dollar bills out of there, too. And the next thing you know, their name is in the paper. They were the treasurer of the local swimming pool, and they had stolen and embezzled $35,000. Those things happen almost every day of the week, not to children and teens, but to grown-ups. because it's honesty in the little things that enables us to be honest in the big ones. Here's a quote from one of my commentaries. I just thought it was so uh, arresting that I would share it with you because it's so true. Most of this week, most of us this week will not christen a ship, write a book, end a war, dine with the queen, or be burned at the stake. (laughs) More likely, we will visit a nursing home, vote for a local election, teach Sunday school, share a meal with someone, or feed the neighbor's cat. (laughs) That's what life is like, week by week. And that's what God is looking at. Honesty or unfaithfulness in those little things. They all add up. And I'll tell you that people that do ships and dine with the queen and end wars and so forth have been people that have been proven to be honest and faithful in all those little things as well. God is a way of promoting us in our honesty into higher and higher positions of authority and responsibility. So faithfulness is little things, honesty And in this passage, of course, it's about the way we spend our money. Not just the big bills, but the little things. It's actually what we do with that last five bucks in our wallet that says something about us. There's nothing wrong with stopping and getting a cup of coffee or a soda, but uh, making that money work, having a label for each dollar in your wallet, knowing where it's going and knowing that I've planned what I'm gonna do with that money, and I've got priorities, that honor the Lord. Those are the things. That uh, those, that use of the money is the faithfulness that the Lord is, is looking for. And finally, we see in verse 13, the last and most important principle. No servant can serve two masters. Here he's going to talk about the full allegiance concerning money. The greatest danger of money is its rivalry with God. Read the rest of that. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God in money. You can't have two masters. You're going to serve one or the other. And of course, the question is will will that service be given to God, the true God, or to money? The almighty dollar demands worship and allows for no other gods before it. How many native born americans succumb to this god allow their whole life to be controlled by gathering up money and finding out how they want to spend it no other thing has a priority than in their time in their in their uh, priorities in their hearts affections than money money drives everything that uh, is the great god of america how many immigrants to our country have pursued the american dream which is really not freedom to worship the Lord, it's to gather up money. And sadly, I see many, you know, I can tell, have come from other parts of the world. For the first time in their lives, here it is. I can work anywhere I want. I can, I can, I can take on two or three jobs. I can, I can work on weekends. I can, well, I look at all the money that I've got, and they fall into this idolatry of money. It's right there. It's right there in front of us. It's a true danger. It is idolatry. Beware, rich American, whether you were born here or came here. Beware, rich American. Money is a means of honoring God, not an end in itself. Money is, <clears throat> is to be our servant, not our master. Money is to be an instrument, not an idol, not an idol. The only reference to God in this passage that we've looked at is there at the very end. You cannot serve God and money. It's fitting then for, end, for us to end with a question, how can we be sure that we really are serving the Lord? Most sitting here today are professing Christians, but could it be that in your heart and in your actual actions, your heart is divided and you're trying to serve money as well as God? HOW DO YOU SORT THAT OUT? HOW DO YOU KNOW THE DIFFERENCE? Well, ULTIMATELY, THE ANSWER IS THAT IT MUST BE FROM THE LORD, THAT BY THE GRACE OF GOD AND THROUGH THE REDEMPTION WHICH IS IN CHRIST JESUS AND IN THE POWER OF THE HOLY SPIRIT, GOD IS FIRST IN OUR LIVES AND NOT MONEY. NOT OUR EFFORTS PERFORMED IN in OUR SINFUL SELVES, BUT ONLY THROUGH REPENTANCE FROM SIN AND FAITH IN THE LORD JESUS CHRIST WILL WE HAVE GOD where he belongs in our lives. It's Jesus' death on the cross that brings us forgiveness. It's his resurrection that gives us a new life, and new desires, new powers to obey him and to put him first, and new hopes for our future. Our future isn't in this world. It's in glory. It's with the Lord. And uh, only God can help us to do that. If you sit here today and say, you know, my life is more like that dishonest manager, well, the good news is that you can be rescued from that. You don't have to live your life like that and die in despair, but rather can be forgiven through Jesus Christ. Call in the name of the Lord. Call on him to be saved. And The Bible promises for everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. God bless us. Let's pray. Father, each of us is a manager of the life you've given us, the time, the health, the strength, the education, the opportunities, the employment, the vacations, the activities, the money. All these have been entrusted to us, Lord. What will we do with them? Help us to enjoy all things that you give us. For the scriptures say they've been richly given to us to enjoy. But let us also remember, Lord, uh, the high priority, the ultimate allegiance that we have to you and to the cause of Christ. Help us then to wisely, in a heavenly wise way, so order our lives and with the discipline that only the Spirit of God can bring, that we might use our money to glorify you and to display to you and to all the world that you are our master. You are our Lord. Grant, Lord, to anyone here today who succumbed to the idolatry of money to repent of that false worship, to turn away from that false God, and to bow before you, the true and living God, and your son, Jesus Christ, who died for us. So work powerfully, Lord, in the hearts of each one here today and each one that hears my voice, and use these things to glorify you